Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world. Speaking of traveling the world, we're here in beautiful Taipei, Taiwan, exploring this amazing city, trying out the delicious local food, checking out the night markets, and of course, uh, working at the same time, doing our coaching, masterminds, online courses, and our podcasts and blogging, etc. So uh, on uh, today's episode, I actually have the chance to interview a fellow dad, a fellow entrepreneur, and a fellow author. I absolutely love interviewing dads. Uh, that's my big passion. I love interviewing fellow authors as well, just because uh, there's such a small community of us in terms of the author community, and uh, of course, uh, entrepreneurs and business owners as well, and people who love to travel. That's uh, some of my passions. And we have uh, our guest today, Jim Weiss, who's actually uh, a passionate uh, entrepreneur. He, uh, he's a author of several different books. He's actually been awarded over a hundred different awards for his book uh, writing, book publishing, and audio uh, broadcast. And uh, he's uh, really a master in terms of storytelling, a master storyteller. And uh, he's a big advocate of dads reading aloud to the kids, which again, kindred spirits here, that's one of my big passions too. Uh, so I'm super excited to invite Jim here on the show. Jim, uh, how are you doing today? I am doing great, Ricky. And I am not in any place quite as exotic as where you are today. Uh, I'm at my local library doing research for my next recording. And they were nice enough to give me the conference room, including, if you can see behind me, the carefully assembled um, table and artificial wall. So I assure you the plant's artificial, but it's really me. That is funny. That is funny. <laughs> so because I'm here in tai Taipei, Taiwan, and it's the exact uh, opposite time zone of North America. Unfortunately, I couldn't yeah. give you a beautiful backdrop with the Taipei 101 uh, tower behind me or the incredible landscape. So I unfortunately don't have an incredible backdrop. But hey, the most important thing here is the content. Uh, we're going to provide great content to all of our listeners and viewers here today by really unpacking uh, storytelling and uh, you know uh, this this uh, what I alluded to earlier the importance of reading to your kids. It's really uh, foundational in helping form their identities and their own love for reading and books. So I want to take you back to the beginning, Jim. When did your personal passion for storytelling uh, begin? Let's uh, trace it back. Well, this goes exactly to the point you're addressing, I think. Because for me, it was a matter of growing up in a household of people who loved stories. Mm -hmm. My mother read to my brother and, and loved that. My grandfather had a repertoire of about half a dozen family stories that we got, all got to know so well, my mother's generation and ours, that we would chime in on certain sentences. My father, who was the greatest influence on me, uh, told as bedtime stories, stories from classic literature and history for my brother and me. And he told the stories he loved and he told them on a level two boys could understand. And he instinctively knew a couple of the rules. There aren't very many, many rules to doing this, but the first rule, the unbreakable rule, is you only tell or read aloud a story you love or it'll fall flat. And the second thing he did wisely was whenever possible to have the original book nearby. I remember him telling us the three musketeers over the course of a number of nights. And at the end, I thought, I said to him, that's the greatest thing I ever heard. And he said, I'm so glad you loved it, because I love this story too. Um, when I first read it, I was up till three in the morning with a flashlight under the covers. And by the way, honey, and he turned and pointed, there's the book. And I said to myself, 
I got to learn to be a better reader. I want to read this thing. And it motivated me to become a better reader. It motivated me to read that book. It motivated me eventually, once I, once I reached the level where I could, to read more books by Alexandre Dumas. I took a book out about Cardinal Richelieu, the villain in The Three Musketeers, who was a historical character, to see if he really was the evil genius that he appeared to be in that book. It led to all kinds of stuff. Here I am all these years later with a grown daughter of my own and a now two-year-old grandson, and I've traveled all over the world telling stories. And what, what stories am I telling? Classic literature and history, not in my father's words, in my own. And I'm trying to get kids uh, and parents, too, as excited by those stories as I am myself. And there are lots of other benefits to that, too. Beautiful. Thanks for tracing it right. Um, because that's the way it all starts. The family unit and the parents' influence. And, you know, if we, as parents, instill good values in them, they raise, we raise them up to be good adults and the cycle continues. And unfortunately, if the reverse is true, if we have poor parents, if we're way too busy, uh, if we separate, that it really affects our children, right? And then you, you have the reverse cycle happening. So I'm uh, super grateful for all of, uh, you know, uh, kind of your background. And now uh, what your dad has instilled into you, you've obviously instilled to, into thousands, if not millions of people on a global level. So kudos to your dad for uh, really instilling that in you, Jim. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of your own career, uh, I'd love to turn back as well. Tell us yeah. about your career in terms of when did you actually uh, make storytelling into a financial livelihood? I want to add one thing before I answer that directly, and referring to something you just said. Part of the beauty of being a father, or a mother for that matter, and, and telling stories or reading them aloud, is that very thing that you just mentioned. It becomes a link in a chain. If you're fortunate enough, you do this. If you're fortunate enough, you will reach a point at which you will see your child starting to read aloud or tell stories to his or her child. And you will know that not only have you positively affected your own, your own daughter or son, but that it's going to go on. And that's an amazing experience to have happen. As far as how I went into it professionally, who knew you could make a living doing this? You know, when we started, when my wife Randy and I started our company, which was in 1989, this is long before the whole explosion of spoken word audio. And there wasn't anybody doing quite what we wanted to do. And so the idea never even occurred to me. I went into sales and marketing because everybody said, oh, Jim, you're so good at painting vivid word pictures, you're gonna be the world's most successful salesperson. And you know, I really wasn't because my heart and soul were not involved. And I came to be more and more frustrated because I knew I had a, a gift to share and I knew I wasn't sharing it. I wasn't doing all that I felt I could do. And I came home one day at the classic midlife crisis age of 40 and said to my wife, I don't want to do this anymore. And after she picked herself up off the floor, she said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I've been thinking about it. And I had been a musician and I had been in recording studios a few times. And I had told stories as a school teacher and as a father. And they said, I can tell stories, stories. Are the, are the great ones with name value from literature and history. Even if 
potential listeners don't know me, they don't know my name, they're going to recognize Greek mythology or the Arabian Nights or whatever. We had very little money at the time. I took a summer off and we sank all of our savings into making five recordings back to back that summer. They were ready. We had the idea in June of 89. We had the recordings in our hands the day after Labor Day. And those were cassettes in those days, long before CDs or, or uh, recordings I recorded on rocks, but that's not quite accurate. Anyway, I, I took them to an independent bookstore and I played a little bit of several of the titles and the owner said, I'll take three of everything of each of the five titles. And I said, wow, I just sold 15 recordings. She said, how come I haven't heard of you before? I said, honestly, I just got these today. And she, uh, we were living in the San Francisco area at the time, in the Bay Area. She handed me a paper. She said, on this paper, you will find the name of every independent bookstore in the Bay Area with the names of the contacts, the phone numbers, the addresses, get in touch with every one of them and tell them I sent you. And this is what I loved about independent bookstores. They're, you know, they are one of our audiences. Home educators are another one, you know, they tell each other. Um, and that was the beginning. And now these are all over the world. I mean, I've traveled to places like you 12 time zones from home and had people say, Oh yeah, we've been listening to you for 15 years. And I think, Wow, this is, this is really amazing to me. So that's how it began. And my wife, who had no marketing background, but who had her own national awards as a school teacher, turned out to have this latent marketing gene. So she ran the business. I, I like to say I was just the product. And that's how we ran it um, since 1989, until three years ago when we licensed the sales and marketing to the well-trained mind press. So that. That's kind of the start, right? Yeah, and thank you for tracing it back. I, I love hearing the origin story, and I love hearing the struggles. You know, uh, you really uh, bootstrapped it at the beginning, and uh, it took you a while to uh, get discovered, and then you boom, you've you met the right person. The power of networking, right? Uh, you met the right person. They provide you with all those contacts, and then you know it just uh, basically took off from there. And I'm sure you had the roller coaster of any entrepreneur, any author, in terms of the ups and downs, financially, mentally, in terms of the stress and difficulties that's all part of the journey right so uh, i want to know about the actual books uh, so and also the audio so you do both written and audio and uh tell us about uh how many are you up to now in terms of books and audio because you obviously have had a few decades to do this so tell us about the numbers and tell us about some samples you mentioned uh you know some of the literally greats uh, give us some examples of those well we started with the audio they're all being converted now into books in addition but we started with audio and this is what I'm best known for I suppose uh, both recordings and live performances and teaching about all, all of this and the, on the literature side they literally run all the way from Aesop's fables or fairy tales up to stories from Shakespeare or Sherlock Holmes uh, um, dozens of recordings about history all the way from the ancient world up through the mid 1990s and in every case, when I can, I open it by 
kind of setting the scene. If it's fiction, I'll talk about who the author was. I'll tell the story of how Charles Dickens came to write A Christmas Carol. That's a story by itself. He didn't write it to write a sweet Christmas story. He wrote it because he was furious at the way poor people were being treated in England and the, and the gap between the rich and the poor. And as a child, his, his own father had gone into debtor's prison and he'd had to work in a terrible uh, place to help pay off the debts. So he grew up, became this famous author, and he sees this stuff still happening around him. And what does he do? He doesn't write a speech. He does what he does best. He writes a Christmas carol. And that little book becomes a hit. And as a direct result of it, the first child labor laws are passed in England. Laws having to do with worker safety are passed. And the politicians who've been trying to do this for 20 years say to Dickens, we could have tried for another 20 years. And your little book, did what we've been unable to do. So I'm trying to tell about where it came from, tell the story with characters and narration. And then at the end, I always say, now go get the book. Or if it's a subject like the ancient world or ancient Egypt or something, I'll say, go get more books about Egypt. I'm not trying to take the place of this. I'm trying to get them turned on so they'll want more learning. So as far as the numbers go, as far as our own recordings, somewhere in the 60s, but well over 100 recordings because I've also done 50 or 60 books for other publishers through the years. Uh, everything from the collected works of Beatrix Potter to Frankenstein unabridged and, um, and everything in between. And that's part of the fun for me. Part of the fun right now would actually be to hear some of your audio. Obviously, people can go check it out on your website. But I, I would love to for you to demonstrate. Why don't you do uh, an example of one of your favorite stories to tell for about maybe you know sixty seconds to ninety seconds here live on the videocast and podcast? Okay. Well, one of the samples I'm almost always asked for is the tortoise and the hare, which is one of my sort of signature stories. And uh, here's why. I think you'll see why. Once upon a time, in the same little neighborhood of animals, there lived a tortoise and there lived a hare. And although they were neighbors, they were as different as could be. For one thing, the tortoise was really but there was nothing slow about the hare. It was really fast. The hare was quick. He was here. He was there. He was here in that kind of a hare. He was always teasing the tortoise. He'd say, you know what, tortoise? You're so slow, and I am so fast. Hey, you know what, tortoise? I can run circles around you. Circles nothing. I can run right under you. You wouldn't even know it, because you cannot move your head fast enough to see me. And that's a minute of the tortoise and the hare. Now, if I'm doing certain other stories, obviously, the, the voices aren't quite as caricatured as that. It depends on the, the material. Material tells you how to tell itself, I think. Bravo, bravo. Let's hear one more. That was so beautiful. And uh, I had no idea what to expect. Uh, so that was uh, amazing. Well done, my friend. Let's hear one more. All right. We'll go to the opposite extreme. Here's a scene from a Sherlock Holmes story in which Holmes and his friend Dr. Watson are trying to trace back some clues. Holmes and Watson took a carriage. Covent Garden, the scene of a great outdoor market. And there they found Breckenridge, the man who had sold the geese to the Alpha Inn. And they approached him. 
Holmes said, excuse me, sir, are you Mr. Breckenridge? The wiry little man pushed the derby hat back up on his head and looked up at Holmes and Watson and said, I'm Breckenridge, yes. And uh, you're the one that sells the geese, asked Watson. Yes, at finest beds in all London, I got here, gents. You can see for yourselves. Well, actually, Mr. Breckenridge, we were hoping you might give us some information about a certain goose with a black bar across its white tail that you sold to the owner of the Alpha Inn. The Alpha Inn! Be gone, be gone, you two! I'm sick and tired of blokes asking me about them geese, the Alpha Inn. If it's not one of you, it's another. Be gone or I'll have the coppers on you, I will. Well, entirely different kind of a story. Entirely different kind of characters, but there it is. And let me add one more quick thing. You don't actually have to do, you know, voices like that to be an effective storyteller or reader. You can just change voices just by having a higher character voice and for somebody else, a lower one or a louder one for somebody who's kind of bold and confident and a softer one for somebody who's more shy and reticent. And that's all you need to do to differentiate. You know, loud, soft, high, low, uh, kind of jumpy like this or someone with a smoother kind of delivery. But you've got two characters right there, and that's all you actually have to do. Incredible. I want to listen to more of your stuff. I just want to turn this whole podcast into you doing all <laughs> plus of your recordings. I, I, you know, I'm just kind of joking there. But it was great to get those two samples, and I look forward to hearing uh, those uh, 80, uh, sorry, sorry, those 100 plus other audio uh, recordings. Uh, so, Jim, uh, you actually kind of preempted my next question, which was about how can we as dads and moms uh, read better to our kids? Because I uh, feel... I'm, and I know a lot of dads might feel this way. That's why I'm being vulnerable and saying it. I feel I'm not a great storyteller. I feel my accents aren't good as, as, as yours. So you put me to shame, Jim. And uh, I know obviously <laughs> I'm not a professional uh, storyteller or I'm a blogger, which is kind of like a professional storyteller. But you know what I'm saying. And I'm a podcaster, so obviously I got to provide great audio interviews. But in the, in the sense of that storytelling or those pitches, those tones, those accents, I need to work on those. So what would you tell dads like me and dads who are listening and watching here and moms, of course, uh, how can we be better storytellers to our young kids who are listening and watching us? The very first thing I want to say is this. Um, the, the simple fact that you are reading aloud or telling stories to your child is the most important part of it all for two reasons. First, because you are encouraging them to get into stories and literature and history and whatever it is. And secondly, because one of the beautiful things about this is that when you share a story with your child, a story you love, your child picks up on this. It's one of the most powerful forces you've got for creating a bond between yourself and your child and inspiring your child to live in a good way and interact in a good way with other people too. So that's the very first thing. Before all the skills and the content. Now let's get into that. The first rule, as I said, is pick a story you love. And because otherwise it'll fall flat. Decide for yourself, do you want to read it out loud or do you want to tell it? Do you want to read part of it? But maybe there's a part where you say, you know, this one might be a little too complicated or a little too intense, this part of it. So give yourself permission to tell that page. There aren't rules to it. You're telling it. You, you, a story to your child, you know? Read the one you like, tell the one you like, do what you're comfortable with, 
mix them together. The thing you have to remember is this though. Think of yourself as a translator of this story. I mean, if you're bilingual, you don't literally try and translate what your Spanish speaking friend said to your English speaking friend. You're looking for the intent of, the, of what he said. You're doing the same thing with the story. And what you're thinking is, how do I translate the, the intent of this story to a two-year-old or a four-year-old or a six-year-old or an eight-year-old? And those different ages, you can handle differently because they can handle different amounts of detail and complexity and intensity. So it's, it's, you're not cheating them of the original story. You're giving them a chance to get it. And later on, they'll read the original. Um, as far as voices, I talked a little bit about that. You don't have to do what I do. This is part of the gift I was given, that I can do voices. You do it your own way. If you love it, they're going to love it no matter. My grandfather didn't change voices when he was telling us stories, but we adored his stories. Um, those are a few of the tips. And the other thing to remember is this, I think. Um, if at some point you're going to tell a story to your son or your daughter that you think is perfectly safe and there's nothing that could possibly frighten your child, and it does anyway. But my example is the three billy goats gruff. You know, 90% of us can't wait for the next time that the troll comes out under the bridge. And the other 10% of the audience is terrified of the troll and does not want that troll to show up again. And if you're in the 90%, maybe you don't even think about the fact that maybe this might scare your daughter or your son. If it happens, and it probably will happen sooner or later, no matter how good your intentions may be, it's okay to, to stop and say to your child, listen, this is going to be okay in one minute. Or I know this part's a little bit scary. Come sit on my lap because it will be through the scary part in just a minute. And it's even okay in, in, if it really gets bad to say, listen, why don't I just tell you what happens in this part and skip ahead? There's nothing wrong with that. Whatever you do, though, don't say, I'm sorry this scared you. Let's just stop the story. And I'll tell you why. Because your child will go on and imagine what's going to happen next. And whatever it is, is probably going to be worse than what's actually in the story. So it's better to just say, okay, let's forget about the character. Why don't I just tell you what happens and be done with it? And that's right there. I just saved you from one of those things that happens where you go, oh, my golly, what do I do? I never thought this would happen. Great, great, great talk there, uh, Jim. So I'm curious to know, because obviously you can tell stories in different ways. You can do it like you do uh, in mm -hmm. terms of the great literally classics. Uh, I'm curious to know also about if you're creating your own stories, because I think our kids love it when it right. comes to our uh, creativity, right? And a lot of us dads and moms, we maybe not don't feel as creative. We're just making up stuff out of thin air. Uh, so I'd really love your kind of insights into creating our own stories and, uh, you know, the creative process and how can we create our own stories and, of course, tell them well to our kids. Well, I'll say there are two parts to this. First of all, when your child reaches a certain age, you can start to get your child interested interested in creating stories with you. And I'll give you a quick and wonderful and wonderfully funny way to do that. 
you start that by taking a story you already know, like Cinderella, and playing what if. You say, what if it's midnight and the clock starts chiming in the clock tower and she does not drop a glass slipper going down the stairs? Can we think of some other way that she and the prince can get together? And all of a sudden, you're coming up with ideas. Okay, so that's one part of the answer. As far as you're telling your own stories, um, here's what happens. I'm really compressing this because this is something I, I, I teach uh, in a long session, but I'm compressing it into about 30 seconds for you. What happens in a story really is this, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, you meet the main character and you find out when and where that the story is happening. A great story is the main character because we have to get hooked into that person. And you can just say to me, Cinderella was beautiful, kind-hearted, blah, 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 blah. Or you can show her being beautiful and being kind-hearted, and I'll figure it out for myself. But we need something to hook us in there. And then when and where the story happens. If it's a modern story, you can just tell it. If it's some other time, you probably need to tell me this happened in Spain in 1612 or something, you know, or on some other planet. And then something will happen in this story to push the character into the action. We already met Dorothy and she's living on this farm in Kansas. And now she's got to save her dog Toto. And she runs away from home, okay? That pushes her into the adventure. The middle of the story, which is the longest part, is all the challenges the character faces. It could be that she's got to answer questions and get information. It could be that he's got to survive some terrible natural disaster, a volcano exploding or something. Whatever it is, it's challenges. If it's fiction, usually the challenges get bigger and bigger. We're building up to the biggest one because you don't want to get rid of the biggest one too early. If you do, the, the ones that come afterwards aren't as exciting. But you, you build up to that thing and then you find out what happens. How did this particular character with his or her particular attributes or skills face these challenges? Because Hercules and Sherlock Holmes are going to face the same challenges differently. And then you find and that, did they do it? How did, how, did they, how did they do? And what is the outcome? And there's your story. So who's my character and what's special about him or her? When and where does it happen? What pushes the character into the action? All the challenges. How do they do? And what's the result? And the only other thing that often happens is in that first moment after they get pushed into the story, where somebody says to Hercules, there's a nine-headed dragon on our island. You got to save us. Or somebody comes to Sherlock Holmes and says, somebody just stole the queen's jewels. You've got to get them back. Right at that moment when we've just gotten pushed into the series of challenges, often another character shows up, the helper, to give some helper information. Cinderella's fairy godmother shows up, or Gandalf the wizard shows up to help Frodo, or maybe it's just the person who gives the first clue to Hercules as to how to fight a nine-headed dragon by describing the dragon. And then he's got to go do it. So that's the shape of a story. And if you know that shape of a story, write it down, have a piece of paper sitting in front of you saying, these are the few things I've got to do in the story and put them in there. And you've got a story. That's it. That's the shape of every story.
almost every story in the world. And don't forget, by the way, that all the professionals began as beginners and amateurs. They didn't just, you know, they didn't get born being Tolstoy or Arthur Conan Doyle. They had to learn it too. And speaking of Tolstoy and, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis and all of these uh, greats of, uh, uh, you know, literally, literary, literature past, I, I'm curious to know about the whole author uh, side of things, because we've talked from a perspective of a mom and a dad, uh, but on our show, we really like to highlight uh, authorship and book publishing and really equip fellow aspiring new and established authors in the tools to be successful because most authors honestly are not successful. They write this amazing book. They send hours on end burning the midnight oil. They publish the book. Uh, they have garages full of books or trunks full of books. Uh, when we're talking about actual physical print books, right? Uh, but they don't make it big in terms of finances, unless you're like a Robert Kiyosaki or uh, you know, Dan Brown or some of these uh, giants of uh, publishing, right? So I'm really curious because you've, made it in terms of uh, creating a whole career out of this. What are your tips for aspiring yeah. new authors who are just starting out today or this week or this year? The first tip I have to give you goes back to something I have already said a couple of times. If you're going to do this and put yourself into it, for heaven's sake, tell the story that you're meant to tell. Don't just try and psych out the, the, what's, going to, what's selling out there. If you have a story that you're passionate to tell, that's the one I want to hear. And tell it to me the way you want to tell it to me. Secondly, it's very valuable if you have somebody you can trust who can look at it and say, this is what I, I liked or this is what wasn't clear to me. I'm fortunate that my wife is a really good editor and our daughter, who is now a published author, no big surprise, uh, it's a language arts family, is my other best editor. Uh, it, and, we, and I edit stuff for them too. And it helps because they know I don't have my ego involved. Um, as far as actually getting published, we went first to the independent bookstores with our own, with our own things. And I've known people, um, well-known authors who are now you know, best-selling authors, who started by going to literary conferences, and wherever you go to one of those, there are always people with their own tables or booths with a stack of their books that they've written and self-published. Today, self-publishing is a big, big deal. The other way to go is the traditional way through a, a publishing agent. But it's harder to do that, but it's worthwhile if, if you can do it. Uh, so one way to do that is to find out who some of your favorite authors work with and see if that publisher will take an unsolicited manuscript. Not all of them will. Um, but the main thing is to get out there in front of people. Re go to libraries and say, I'll, I'll read from one of my books. I, I would love to read it. And uh, here's a copy of it, library, and take a look and see. I think this is something that, you know, maybe I could do a presentation. And you don't know. You, you, you know, you can find one person out there and there's happened to me on a number of occasions who said oh you know uh, we have a whole group that's interested in this or um, I'm part of an online community that talks about this subject that you've written about or, or spoken about I'd love to introduce you such as daddy blogger <laughs> you know I'd 
left to introduce you to a whole audience. And that's what you're doing with me. I mean, in a way, I mean, yes, my recordings are already out there, but you're no doubt going to introduce what I do to people that have never heard of me. And that's an ongoing thing. So does, does that help at all? It does help tremendously. It's all about, uh, you know, uh, hustling, so to speak, and getting uh, uh, the word out and, you know, getting the word out to different mediums. Uh, maybe you've done traditional media and now you're doing podcasts and uh, getting out there through the blogosphere and, uh, you know, uh, being very creative in the terms of uh, your own marketing. Uh, even as a successful author, you're still pushing those boundaries, so to speak. Uh, so I'm curious to know also about uh, most of the authors I've had on my show have been uh, traditional print authors. So you've actually uh, obviously become successful as an audio author, and now you're doing the reverse. Uh, you're, you're getting that published in print form. Uh, so uh, I want to I get your tips there in terms of audio, uh, because now you have these big websites such as Audible, and um, you have eBooks and uh, print books, and then you have this whole... Uh, you know, listening on your uh, smartphone, listening on your iPad, listening on your car, right? Uh, so that's definitely a booming trend. Uh, so in terms of getting your books from uh, written form to audio form, I would love your insights into that area as well, Jim. Well, what I find, first of all, there are so many more media now than there were when I started, okay? back in the Pleistocene era when dinosaurs roamed the earth, you know. I mean, there's a whole internet now, and people uh, can go on, and it, it's not an automatic thing, but it does happen quite frequently that somebody goes on, and suddenly there are all these people who want to hear him or her. So some of it is just getting yourself out there, but try to do it with enough polish that people will, will want to listen to it for a while. Um, there are companies uh, that uh, just publish audio, nothing but audio. And um, there's a magazine called Audiophile for for, that has to do with those uh, publish, audio publishing houses and that reviews audio recordings. And every year they have a, a, an issue in which they list audio publishers. Now, not all of those audio publishers, just as with book publishers, not all of them will accept an unsolicited recording from an unknown author, audio author, but some of them will. And if you can find that out, uh, you can submit some. Um, it's good to get experience doing this by reading aloud to people, or if there's a, a, a place nearby you that does audio recordings for, for the blind. They are always looking for people uh, to do this, and it gives you some experience reading aloud to somebody, and there's nothing like that experience to recognize what it is that you need to do or what you're already doing well. Then you can go and apply it to your recording because it's a never-ending process of, of learning. And, and improving we hope improving um, so those are just a few things you can do um, if you uh, if you're in a market a major market you can try to find out usually there are a few ad agencies that supply audio advertisements to local clients and customers not the big national accounts but the local businesses see if you can find out which agencies do that kind of thing 
and see if you can send them a sample of your work and say, I'd love to be the, the person that, that records one of these ads for you for your next customer. You know, give me a chance to try that. Or let me take a script you've already done and I'll read it for you and if you like it, you can add me to your stable of, vo of voice people. And all of a sudden you've entered the voiceover world and those worlds overlap. So those are a few things you can do. You have been such a gem and uh, with all these incredible nuggets, nuggets, nuggets of wisdom. They're never ending. It's incredible. I I'm curious to know in closing, what is your vision? We, we, we started the interview kind of learning your backstory and then we kind of, uh, you know, got a little bit of uh, your, uh, you know, uh, current reality. But I'm curious to know where are you personally uh, heading to in terms of your career, your books and your future, Jim? You know, right now, at a time when there's a lot of disagreement in the world and even in our country. And I'm, don't worry, I'm not gonna get into a political rap here, but no matter what your particular view, one's particular views might be, there's, there's a lot of dissension right now and a lot of anger. And we need things that, we need to find those areas where there are areas of commonality. Our stories are where we pass down to each other, to our kids, to the next generation, the things we most believe in. And for me, I have been spending the last number of years particularly working on my history stories and particularly telling stories which I think, first of all, convey how I would like to see people interacting with each other, but also telling stories um, which um, kind of show that we're not going through something unprecedented here. Uh, in our country and in other countries around the world, people have gone through this kind of stuff before. And a lot of people are just terrified of what's going on around us right now. And that terror in itself has a negative effect on all of us. But if you know people have gone through this before and come out the other side of it okay if you hear this in the stories of people it's a, it gives you a sense of calm and of confidence and of kind of being able to take a deep breath ah, okay what do i need to do how do i kind of lower my my own tone and my own heartbeat here and how do we how do we proceed from here and i think it's important to share this with our kids mm -hmm. because the best way you can teach this to your child is not just to say honey this is what I think we should do yeah you do that but the very best way is with stories of people who treat each other with respect who uh, support each other's interests and curiosity who listen to one another's opinions, even when they disagree and then go on from there. That's how you teach your child. If you're a father or a mother and you want your child to live in a better world and to be able to operate the way you would like to see the world operating, it's more vital than ever that those are the stories that you tell. And those are the stories I've been telling. And those are the ones I want you to go out and tell to your child. And you know what? It'll make you better at the same time it's making your child better. That's where I'm going.
that's what we need. Bravo, my friend. Bravo. That sounded like a, a campaign for 2020, Jim. Uh, you know, you, you said it really well in terms of both the personal vision, but this global vision as well for making the world a better place. And what parent doesn't want that for their kids, right? A better place, a more peaceful place, a more compassionate place, and of course, more compassionate humans, right, in terms of our children. So well said, my friend, well said. Uh, so in terms of uh, uh, if people wanted to purchase a copy or several copies or a bundle of your books, if they wanted to find out more information about you, I know you have your personal website, your author website, plus uh, your marketing uh, company where you can purchase those books, plus even an academy. Uh, so tell us about those different ways that people can connect and uh, find out more. Well, we're all over the internet, but the best places to get them would be to go first either to jimweiss.com, which Jim Weiss is W-E-I-S-S, jimweiss.com, where you can find all of them listed by suggested ages or by when the stories happened in, in history, and you can hear bits and pieces of all of them, or you can go straight to our publisher, welltrainedmind.com, and there's a place where you can click on well, at welltrainedmind.com, Jim Weiss by age level, and you'll see that same information, and you can order. If you go to our first and you decide to order, it'll connect you to welltrainedmind.com either way. So you can find out information about the recordings, what's on each of them. You can hear bits and pieces of them, and you can order them that way. And you can order them either as physical recordings, physical CDs, or as downloads. And that's how you, you reach me. And if there's somebody who's interested in, in seeing me live or in a performance, because I still perform all over, uh, they can do that through jimweiss.com too. So that's the best way to reach me. And thanks for asking. You're welcome, Jim. And uh, I was thinking of how we can end this. And because you told us two beautiful stories, I would love to tell uh, one final story to our audience here because they were just so much fun. And they really brought uh, my spirits up listening to them. And of course, to a lot of listeners of yours. And I'd love to ask you to tell a story, but from this perspective of travel, because that's a big passion, inspiring dads and moms to travel with their kids. So out of your repertoire, mm -hmm. I would love for you to tell a quick, uh, you know, like a one minute travel story to end our podcast here today. Wow. Well, considering that I've, that I've told stories from all over the world, you've thrown me a real wide loop here. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me see here. I'll tell you, I'll just tell you about an, one thing that I've done. Um, whenever I go to one of the places where the stories happen, I always take pictures and put them up on my website. And, um, a few years ago, someone got in touch with us from southwestern England and said, you know, we're getting a lot of uh, people in here from Eastern Europe who are coming here to work. And culturally, they're not quite the same as we are. Can you come and tell stories from, from England and from that part of the world in a performance? Let's pull all those people together and you can tell stories. And we'll hear each other's stories. Mm -hmm. And I went and told stories in England, from England and Poland and you know, a wide variety. And while I was there, I took an extra couple of days to go to the Moors to see where Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson went after the Hound of the Baskervilles. 
And I went to Plymouth, England, from which the pilgrims sailed and the Jamestown uh, settlers uh, all came. And outside of Plymouth, I went to the home of Sir Francis Drake, which is now a museum. It was the home he bought after he sailed around the world without a map. A story I told on one of my favorite history recordings, The Queen's Pirate, the greatest true swashbuckling adventure in history. And this is just, this is how I'll end, end this with you. Because this is the kind of thing I love to tell that they don't tell you in the textbooks. Right? They'll tell you, oh, Drake sailed around the world, but they don't tell you why. And the reason he sailed around the world, he didn't set out to do that. He was an Englishman when Spain had the most powerful and wealthiest empire on earth. And the king of Spain owned the Americas, basically, except for Brazil and most of Europe and traded in Asia, and they were being tough on the English. And, the, and Drake went out, and he knew there was a treasure ship that brought the annual colonial treasures back to Spain, to the king, and he captured it. And he said to his men, and he, and, and he lifted the loot and put it into his own ship. And then he didn't kill the Spaniards. He said, how can I do that to you? after you've been so kind as to give me 26 tons of silver bars and all this gold and all these jewels. And he set them safely on land near a Spanish colonial city and sailed off and he said to his men, we do not dare to return the way we came. The entire Spanish Navy will be spread across the Caribbean and the Atlantic watching for us. Therefore, gentlemen, I shall take you home by traveling when no English ship has ever gone we will sail the Pacific and go around the world. And three years after he had sailed out of Plymouth, they sailed back into Plymouth. He hadn't lost a man on the way. It had no map, but he'd sailed the Pacific around Asia, Africa, and Europe, and he came back. And Queen Elizabeth I came and met him in Plymouth and knighted him on the deck of his ship, and he became Sir Francis Drake that day. That's just one little story, one little piece of a story. Bravo, 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 my friend. It was such a joy and a pleasure to have you here on this podcast and videocast. Uh, you know, I loved my honor. Stories. I loved hearing your insights, your wisdom, uh, and uh, all of your tips for our viewers and listeners here. Uh, so I just wanted to conclude this podcast by giving you a big Air high five, a big uh, thumbs up, and a big thank you, Jim. You are so welcome. It's been my pleasure and my honor talking with you, Ricky. And I, uh, I hope that if anybody has any more questions, they can get in touch with me because I'm always happy to answer them. Thanks. Thank you. And uh, like Jim said, you can check out his website, jimwise.com. That's his author website. And of course, you can check out welltrainedmind.com. And it has his whole repertoire of all of his recordings. And there's also the, uh, the Well-Trained uh, Mind Academy as well, uh, which has online courses. So a lot of different resources for you guys. I highly recommend uh, grabbing some of those audiobooks. If you liked what you heard today, you're in for a treat. <laughs> and I look forward to grabbing the, some of them myself for my kids. It's, uh, I got a six-year-old and a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and I know they're going to absolutely love listening to Jim and his audiobook. So thank you again, Jim, and we'll catch up with you soon, my friend. Thank you, Ricky. Travel safely. 
<laughs> thanks everyone uh thanks everyone for tuning into this episode uh once again check out jim's website make sure you check us out, out as well i have four books myself and i'm inspiring dads to be the best dads that can be uh build the best marriages that can be and of course uh, inspiring families to travel this amazing world that we all live in so check that out at daddyblogger.com and of course digitalnomadmastery.com as well uh, thanks everyone and happy storytelling <laughs>